0: On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to Opus Private Clients' Well Style Podcast. My name is Ivan Watanabe. I'm here today with a great partner of mine, George Papanikolaou, and our guest today, Elaine Avinoum of Elaine Avinoum Consultancy. Um, so, welcome to you both.
2: Nice to be here. Hi.
1: So, I'm excited to have George on. George is out as my business partner and also our resident sort of child expert, having four kids under the age of eight. <laughs> Uh, so we're excited to have him here today and, and uh, to discuss something that he's particularly knowledge about, uh, knowledgeable about, and, and Elaine, uh, you as well. So again, thank you so much for for joining us today. Elaine, why don't you tell us a little bit about the company, sort of your background, your bios as an educational consultant and an instructional technology coach. So fill, fill the, uh, the audience in on what you're up to these days.
3: Okay. Um, my name is Elaine Avinoa, and I run my own company. You can find me at avinoamconsulting.com. And basically, I was a teacher for many, many years. I taught university level, then I taught high school, and then my last uh, 15 years, I was teaching middle school. I've taught abroad and here, and I have a deep love for children. And I have a deep, I really deeply care about their education. So I retired in 2018 and decided to do professional development consulting, and uh, instructional technology coaching full time. So what I mean by that is for many years in the summer, I have done teacher trainings, helping teachers teach in different ways. For those of us who are a bit older, school was basically sitting in front of a teacher who was talking and writing on the chalkboard. And that doesn't work anymore. So I try to help teachers turn things around, think of new ways to incorporate digital technology. And, and I like to help teachers also with their content. So I was an art historian in the past and um, historian. I taught history for a long time and Photoshop. So uh, right now I'm not only working in many schools, training teachers and working with teachers, coaching them in the remote landscape, but I'm also beginning to work with parents to help them, help their children navigate the new world of education. This is going to be quite a year.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, <laughs> I think this this couldn't be perfect timing for our audience to hear more about the work that you're doing and, and some of your advice. I, th- I have to say your, your role in your company is probably in, in one of the most high demand positions right now, just given you know, the current landscape that parents are facing mm-hmm. over the next couple of months and school years. So mm-hmm. we're, again, we're, we're super excited to have you on today. Thank you. So, so today, So in in New York City, it just got announced that schools are delayed another week. And I know there are a lot of other districts across the country that are kind of looking at New York to follow suit. So what are parents thinking about these days? And what does the landscape look like now that some schools are starting to open up and and not? And, you know, I hear this term of hybrid versus virtual or, or full time. So can you just educate our audience a little bit for those who don't know what the landscape looks like and what what schools are doing?
3: Sure. So basically, what's happened is in New York City, I was actually working with a group of teachers in a New York City public high school today when the mayor announced that school won't be opening until September 21st. I believe all schools have faced the same challenges. The challenge is basically how do we get kids to come back with the social distancing and being careful about the virus? And some districts have chosen to go all virtual. And some are doing what's called a hybrid. And the hybrid means that the students come into the building for one to anywhere from one to three days a week, and the rest of the time they're remote. And that means that students will be in two, three, or four cohorts of small groups, will go in and out of the building. The problem I see for parents is that nobody's ever done the hybrid model before and it's not based on anything educational there's no educational platform to it it's purely logistical to get kids back in the classroom a little bit i mean we all hope eventually kids will be able to go back to school
1: right george for you as a parent of small kids i mean have they spoken to you about what's going to happen in your school district and, and sort of what, what have you been thinking about lately, you know, as it relates to the hybrid model versus full-time? And, and, and if you had the hybrid model, is that something you'd want your kids to entertain or not?
2: It's the,
1: definitely the
2: major topic <laughs> amongst all of our, our family and friends, people that we're, we're in touch with the most because, you know, your, your circle is, is mostly around your kids. And I happen to be in a, in a pretty unique situation because I live in one area surrounded by three different school districts. Yet I send my kids to private school in a completely different town. So I'm, I'm seeing and I'm hearing all the different things the schools are doing. We were very, very lucky that uh, my kids school put forth a great plan, which, again, to Elaine's point, you know, I'm just kind of shocked that they were able to put it together at all because this is completely new territory, but my kids are going back every like for a full week schedule, but they already had classrooms of 12 kids. So, most other schools in our area are doing the hybrid model. Uh, some are going for all virtual, and there's a lot of concern. For the older kids, I guess some of it is the sports and stuff like that, but for the younger kids, so much of their uh, what they learn in school is through socialization and through that that you know interaction with other children what we've seen now throughout the summer and the fact that last year was cut off is a lot of the kids are reverting back to certain like to certain younger uh, tendencies like for example my kids started coming back into the bedroom one of the kids who was out of diapers is back into diapers uh, a lot more crankiness my son is is trying to get his energy out so he has no outlet and all he asks me for because i have three girls in a book he just says can we please get some some other guys around here can you know can we can we please play and it's (laughs) it's you know it's it's funny and it's it's we're we're really wanting the uh, the school to get back and we're we're concerned that there's going to be some other or uh, you know they call it the second wave and that's probably the biggest concern. So then what happens? I, I, Elaine, I guess you could talk to the pods, what people are doing about. They, we have a pod in the classroom. It's like 12 people. But we're also considering the tutoring side of that too.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, in terms of pods, that means parent. So there are school-based pods and there are family-based pods. So the school-based pods are that group of anywhere from 6 to 12 kids who will travel together. So they're, they're together. They don't interact with other kids in the building. That's, that's the intention. And family-based pods, there are families who are creating, I mean, we've, you've probably heard the term play pods. They've been creating small groups of kids who will interact only with each other. And the tutoring side of that is that some families have actually chosen to have their kids tutored exclusively so they will use the school's remote learning plan but their their children will not enter the school building they'll be tutored somewhere and i that's where i come in actually because then i am offering to uh orient and guide the tutors because not everyone who is a tutor has classroom experience
1: interesting so in the in the circumstance where a family sets up a pod Again, I don't have any children, so please excuse the ignorance, but it, for, for the situation where they set up a pod, how, do, how does, does the school recognize the education that they've received for that grade? Is there a curriculum that needs to be established in order, in order for them to quote unquote graduate from that grade and, and to move forward to the next grade? You know, how, how does the school assess if the, the education that they got during that school year is, is um, up to par?
3: So that is actually going to depend on how the pod is set up. So in most of the districts, in George, you've, you've probably seen this in the districts near you, most districts, including New York City, have given families the option to choose either remote or hybrid.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: In, if you're thinking of having a pod learning situation and following the school curriculum, you could opt all remote, get together with a few other families, and have the tutor be working with those kids to distill the actual curriculum that's posted by the school. So in other words, they'd still be following the standards. The other option gotcha. is to, to do fully homeschooling, which you actually need to apply to, but I believe there are waivers now because of the remote learning situation.
2: What does that entail, Elaine?
3: Homeschooling?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You can't, you can't just go out and homeschool. You actually need to apply for homeschooling and prove that you have a curriculum and you'll be following a curriculum. And homeschooling means that you have a curriculum, you school your own child. That's kind of blossomed in the past few years into families joining with other homeschooling families. So they, they already pre-COVID were making pods, so they might go on a pod field trip together and then continue to be schooled by their parents. There are obvious problems with that. I mean, from my side, from the education side, which is that I'm a parent myself and I wouldn't want to teach my own children. (laughs) Um, You know, you can be a really good parent, but that doesn't mean you're a teacher.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So from a teacher standpoint, how are teachers planning for this? How are they building curriculums? You know, it seems, at least from my conversations with my clients, that some teachers seem to be much better prepared than others. What are the challenges that they're facing, and, and how can someone like yourself help them? How can they partner with parents? I mean, tell us a little bit about, from the teacher's side, what's involved.
3: Well, from the teacher's side, it, it really depends on their school, but in general, most teachers were not prepared at all in March and they maybe had two days to a week to prepare a whole remote learning platform. So that's problem one is that teachers have been in a panic and they've had to use a lot of tools that they've never used before. And in their defense, teachers in the schools I work with have been great. I mean, I've seen magical things happen with the teachers I work with, but that's the problem I'm in those schools, I'm helping the teachers. If the teachers don't have any support, then how can they navigate all this? And then they're under their own stresses of health and safety and being told that now they have to clean the school building and they have to take temperatures and they have to, you know, they're teaching all these children in masks behind plexiglass screens. So it's really, really hard for them and I feel for them. So I'm in there trying to help.
1: Yeah. It sounds like an incredibly, an incredibly challenging environment to be in besides just actually educating the children. There seems to be so many more things involved. What worked well for teachers the last half of last school year? What did you see that worked really well for some of them that for the teachers here listening could potentially implement in their, in their classrooms?
3: Well, I found that um, anybody who took the risk to engage their creativity and the kids' creativity did really well. So we talk a lot about project-driven learning, which means that the kids have a problem to solve and they're not just listening to the teacher talk, they're solving problems and then coming back and discussing it and showing their work. I saw teachers um, that I coached put together live discussions over live animal cams from zoos, for example, Uh, small group work. Uh, One thing that I really stress with my teachers is one-on-one phone calls, check-ins with their kids. Most of all, individual choice embedded in everything they do because this really is the moment to individualize learning and to personalize a student's learning, and not everybody needs to learn everything the same way at the same time in the same place.
2: Do you think, Elaine, that this is changing the way the education system is going to be run moving forward permanently?
3: Yes, I don't I don't see schools investing um, the money and the training in online learning management systems and then dropping them. I think this is it. And I think they work really well when they're blended in.
2: So calling in sick won't work anymore? Because <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> <laughs> they'll have like the live cam in the classroom and you basically have to log in whether uh, whether you're there or not. You, you can't avoid the test like you used to back in the day.
3: <laughs> well, see, that, that's an interesting point. The live cam is very controversial with teachers. Uh, some teachers don't want to be on a live cam. And I personally question Uh, whether or not a live cam is effective for more than 30 minutes at a time, because George, you have little ones. They can't be staring at a screen all day. And if they are staring at a screen and it's a teacher talking, it's not going to be very interesting.
2: Well, that was the hardest part of when school stopped last time. So we have three in school at the same time and we have to basically separate them in our house. Um, which not everybody has that, you know, has the room to do. It was hard for us as well. And their attention span is 75 seconds and, <laughs> and you have to keep them in, I mean, the teachers themselves had, you know, problems trying to just keep them, uh, uh, focused and then you'd stop. And then you'd have to do your part. You know, I, I didn't do it. I give all the credit to my wife to actually teach them what the teachers put out and to, to what you were saying before, Elaine, I knew that the, and we understood that the teachers had almost no time to prepare anything. So they were doing their best to get us the information. What I've seen now, looking forward to the 2020, 2021 year, is they do have a very solid idea of what they're going to put out. But I do see that we took the time through the summer, through lockdowns, to keep the tutoring the kids and keep we made them do math programs and reading programs because we felt like the last year was kind of cut short Mm -hmm. and we are really concerned about this year even with the the plan they have set forward you know are they missing out right is it going to be a, a full year
3: that's a good question yeah i worry about that because i i worry about The teachers who are putting all their resources on the screen, that's not going to work for most children, even right up through 12th grade. There's got to be another part of the learning that's not online, even if they, you know, a teacher is present and students are working in a notebook or completing a math problem by hand or building something. You know, what I'm trying to implement is kits that go out to families or recipes for making math manipulatives you know you take beans or you take coins whatever because kids all the way up through middle school need that they need something tactile something kinesthetic it's not easy for everybody to read on a screen even adults find that but think about kids
1: Yeah, you've given us a a couple of really good examples of ways that parents can fill in those learning gaps. If parents feel like that the education is not getting through to their children, how can they advocate for their kids within the system that that's currently trying to help them?
3: So the first thing I would suggest uh, is partnering with the child's teacher and speaking to the teacher and trying to figure out whether or not that teacher had training in the remote platform to begin with. Because if they haven't had training, they may have a learning curve there. The other thing is, if your child has an IEP or any special learning needs, talk to the teacher and find out if the teacher is aware of the accessibility settings on the computers that your child is using. So for example, Lots of kids are using Chromebooks or Macs. They both have built-in accessibility settings. And I'm talking about things like screen magnifiers, text-to-speech. Ask, ask your child's teacher if they can sign you up for weekly updates. And the other thing that I advocate with teachers and I advocate with parents is pre-teaching. So We all know about the after-school review or the after-class review. What about before the class? Many children benefit from seeing the material before class. We live in a time where we're seeing enormously increasing rates of anxiety in children, and that's a way to manage anxiety. So they know they're going to go online and their teacher's going to be teaching writing. They've seen the prompt before. Maybe they've practiced it for some kids that's invaluable it's golden for them um another wonderful advice i think for parents i have two pieces of advice (laughs) one is you need to model reading a book especially if you have younger children and i don't mean reading to them only i mean putting your phone away which is really hard for all of us and taking out a book and reading it next to your child while they're looking at their book. I also think, I also say parents should ask their children to teach them what they learned or one thing they learned that day. That way you can see if they really got it.
1: Oh, no, that's great. George, do you think that's something that you'd bring into the household? Do you think that would work for you? So we've been, we've been trying to do the
2: reading thing where we will sit on the couch or in the room and everyone's reading at the same time. Now, only my oldest and the two older ones, you know, know how to read. The younger two, not, not so much anymore. And they throw things off because they come in and disrupt everything. (laughs) But, but we do, we do try our best. (laughs) We do, we try to do some other things too. I actually just, we just did, uh, started 3D printing at the house, which is Mm. one of the coolest things you've ever seen and. The technology behind that has gotten unbelievably affordable. So it's, it's not something that costs thousands of dollars. It's, it's a, you know, a couple hundred dollars and my seven year old and five year old more, the the most are super interested in this and there's math and there's reading involved. So I force them to read certain things on the, on the computer, find what they're actually looking to splice. And, you know, now we're getting into that. And you know, certain visual things, and and I, I I think I'm I'm doing a good job, and <laughs> that's the you know parenting is, the one job you can't be prepared for, <laughs> so w- we do the best we can. This is uh, this is a pretty crazy year. Elaine, you had said we we talked on the phone um last week, and you had said that this is going to be a year where the parents do really have to take that initiative. And it's something that stuck with me since you said it, because we didn't know if we were doing enough. And and quite frankly, I spoke to my wife after you said that. And I said, Elaine said, we got to step up. And, you know, it's tougher for some families, especially if there's two working spouses. I don't know who's working from home, who's working remotely still. And that's a, a, a challenge a lot of people are facing. Another very good friend of mine has to, uh, work from home because his kids are starting and they're doing the hybrid model and it doesn't coincide with the work schedule. I hope this doesn't last forever. I do, you know, I I hope when nobody gets sick again, I hope there's not another wave, but it's uh, it's pretty terrifying to
1: think that that's going to be the entire year until next June. To George's point about parents that are working remote, do you have any advice for those parents how to balance sort of their work and again, adding value to their children and making sure that they can support them through their virtual learning. I think that's one of the largest frustration points that we face in conversations with our clients. So I'd love to hear your take on that.
3: It's really, really, really hard. I, I will definitely say that I, it depends on the age of your child. You know, if you have younger children, younger than fifth grade, I'd say you're probably going to need some sort of caretaker with them. And then that caretaker needs to ensure that the child is actually learning. And how do they do that? They may need a guide or someone who can orient them in the curriculum. So that would be someone like me. Middle schoolers also, like they seem to be working, but they can be on five different platforms at the same time. Really? So,
2: <laughs> right, right. I, I,
3: I, I was working with a young man the other day who gave me a demo of how he was, um, he appeared to be very engrossed in what he was doing, but he was playing a video game. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that's a that huge. Sounds like me. <laughs> it, it's, it's a huge problem. And on top of that, it's what they're seeing when they're online that needs to be monitored. I know we all say that in terms of digital safety, but I'm talking about information because uh, I've seen fourth graders go out and look for news on the election and come up with all sorts of stuff that was not true, fake news, or not meant for fourth graders. So that's, I think that's the hugest challenge for parents is that they need someone you know even if you have a babysitter who's a college student who took a gap year sitting with your stu- with your kids to help them
1: for those kids that are applying to private high school uh, or those you know getting ready to apply for college how does the landscape change for them what's the application process look like these days are are people taking a year off what is what does that look like for you know moving from a public or a private school going to a private high school or or, or a private college
3: um well i'll approach private, the, the college question the this is really a problematic time for colleges especially the small private colleges a lot of kids are taking gap years and i predict that next year there'll be a lot more kids taking gap years i worry about the colleges because i know from my experience in higher education. Many teachers have never taught online. So, and I'm talking about, you know, small elite colleges where there are excellent professors who are amazing lecturers, but will that translate online? So I think my advice to most high school seniors right now is figure out what you want and to college freshmen, it's take your requirements now because you can take your requirements online probably if you have a lot of distribution requirements Um, you have to take that math calculus class or you have to take english 101 do that online and hope that you can be live with your professors next year
1: got it so take the core curriculum potentially at a, at a community college or Mm -hmm. try to get those out of the way as soon as possible, something that, you know, may not be as specialized as, as your particular major, for example, is that, is that what you're saying?
3: Yes. I, I mean, I was trying to say it more gently than that, but I, I don't know if all the private college, the smaller colleges will survive. And I think that for a lot of students, they're going to see the beauty in going to a community college for part of it. I mean, financially, it's great. And I, re- I really don't know what to say about higher education. I'm really worried about it. I've seen really uh, terrible online classes, and I've seen a few good ones. But most kids go to college for the social life, you know, as a big part yeah. of it, not just for the, but it's like the little ones, you know, being with other people <laughs> is part of it. And if you can't do that, it might be time to take a gap year
2: yeah i mean what do the trade schools do if, if, if somebody who's going to to uh like a boces program or uh is in the middle of licensing for to be an electrician or a plumber i mean that's basically is that done for the year or is it can you remote learn and and learn how to be an electrician it's i didn't think of that until
1: you just said it
3: yeah, it's the same with teachers. They can't do their student teaching now. I mean, we're going to see gaps in some professions for sure.
1: On a on a lighter note, is there is there anything that you want our our you know our, our listeners to understand? Is there something you can leave them with that's uh, that's something some positive to look forward to for this upcoming school year?
3: Yeah, I, I think that there are so many resources coming on the internet every day that make life different. And I mean, things like I'm a fan of Google arts and culture and just I love art. So you can see so many images go through museums, cultivating that curate that as a family, get enthusiastic about the good things that you can do now. And I guess my biggest, the biggest takeaway people should have is that they should be gentle with the teachers. <laughs> the teachers are that I know are trying really, really, really hard. And they, they love input from parents too, not criticism, input.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for the time. We really, really appreciate it. Elaine, can you just give our audience again, uh, where they can contact you if they have any questions or, or would like to, cons- you know, hire you for your services?
3: sure um my website is Noam consulting that's A B as and victor i n for nancy o a m for mary consulting.com and i'd be delighted to hear from anyone
1: well thank you again we really really appreciate it george thanks again as always love having you on Thanks, everyone, for listening uh, to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. Again, this is Ivan Watanabe. Uh, Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest
4: speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Opus Private Client, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Yvonne Watanabe, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA SIPC. Yvonne and George Papanakolo are financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206, 2020-107539, Expiry 08 of 22.